Hello and welcome to Grace Life Duras. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray that this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Hello again, welcome to Grace Life Duras. Uh, it's Alicia and I am excited to be sharing with you once again truth about how to have a powerful and effective and empowered prayer life. I'm excited to be getting into this with you and digging deeper. We're going to take it slow. And uh, sometimes you might think, what's the point of all of this? Uh, except to encourage, it will encourage for sure. But I promise you, we are leading into deeper waters. I want to encourage you from the beginning to open your heart, to listen carefully and uh, to open your heart to things that might sound new. That's not new. It might just sound like something you haven't heard before. As we dig deeper, we're going to obviously go into the Word of God. We're going to go into Scripture. But you know, part of maturing is that we are able to look at things and say, oh, I saw it like that when I was younger, but now I see it differently. And so we might end up doing this in this series. I believe it should happen as the Spirit leads us to maturity in our prayer life. We did start this series last week. If you missed that, please do catch up. If you don't have your pen, your paper, a Bible, and something to drink, you're welcome to go and grab that, and I will pray for us. <clears throat> so, Father, I want to thank you for your goodness, for who you are, uh, for what you do, and what you continuously do in us and through us. I want to thank you for this time that we can get together, we can get into the Word and discover truth, and we can abide. We can abide in this place where we are leaning on you, hearing your word, and allowing it to become the truth that we hold on to, um, that saves us and transforms us, that sets us free, and that takes us out of captivity into wide spaces with you, because we know that you yourself have said, knowing the truth sets you free. Amen. Okay, let's get right into it. So why do we want to have empowered prayer lives? Well, one of the biggest reasons, of course, is that we are followers of Jesus or believers in Jesus. And therefore, we should have powerful prayer lives. His prayer life was powerful and so should ours be. Jesus showed us that uh, very clearly when he said that greater things than I you will do if you will believe in me. And uh, so there is a challenge. And we spoke about that last week. And that challenge remains and the great thing about realizing that is that our prayer life does not need to be a religious duty. It is something that is alive, it's active, it's powerful, it's empowered by Holy Spirit. We're going to get into what that means. And so it should be something that gets you excited when you enter into that holy place of seeking God in prayer. So, of course, we would say that prayer is communicating with God in a personal relationship with him as believers. However, I would and did challenge us last week to start thinking about what the Bible shows us about prayer. And therefore, it would be more accurate to say that prayer is when we purposefully put our focus on God. It is a space where we activate faith and take up our authority to release, release God's power into situations. It's where we receive from God, where we surrender to God, and where we relate to Him in a very personal and yet powerful way. And so as we go through this, one of the biggest elements of this is, of course, the ability to um, pray effectively, but also pray with supernatural power. 
And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Okay, good. It is the ability to what we what we've heard is, is things like praying in spirit, praying in the Holy Spirit. So don't switch off, uh, switch on. And I want to encourage you to no matter whether you've had good experiences with this topic or bad experiences, I want you to really tune in and listen very carefully. Okay, good. So I'm going to lay a foundation and then week by week we'll go a bit deeper. And so I want to encourage you to stay with us so that the, that God's spirit will guide us through what we will be sharing. Um, and within the ne next few weeks, I believe that you will experience a fullness of what he has promised you as his child. Okay, so we are going to start with, let me see, where do I want to start? Let's start with John 3. So actually, before I say before we read that, let me say this. For an accurate understanding of an empowered prayer life, we must have an accurate understanding of what it means to be saved, receive salvation, being born again, or becoming a new creation, whatever you want to call that. If we have an accurate understanding of what it means and what happened when we received Christ at the point of salvation, where we said, yes, I received Jesus, my personal Lord and Savior. When we do that, what happened there? If we have an accurate understanding of that, and the power that is within us because of our born-again reality, because we are new creations, when we understand that, prayer becomes very effective, and our understanding of praying, praying in spirit, the term being baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, whatever else you want to call it, releasing authority, all these things suddenly become very clear. So stick with me as we go back to what it means to be born again. So we're going to start, of course, with John 3. Uh, this is where the famous conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. I actually want to read it from my actual Bible, not just from my notes. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and he tells him he's a good teacher and he does great miracles. And Jesus ignores everything he says and just answers him by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then Nicodemus says, but how can I be born again? You know, I'm old. And then in verse five, Jesus answers and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So what is Jesus saying to Nicodemus here and to all of us is that the true focus and the reason for our faith is to be born again. It is that God's spirit comes and fills us and lives inside of us. This is the born again experience. It is taking that which is naturally impossible to do, to be born again, as Nicodemus said, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb? He's saying it goes beyond all your good works of your entire life and brings it back to the reality that true salvation is something supernatural. That's why Jesus could say he's the only way, the truth and the life to God. He is the only way. Why? It's only through him that you have the ability to be born again from above supernaturally, where your spirit is regenerated, where you go from being dead to being alive, blind to seeing, lost to found. That is why he can make that claim, because only he can make that possible. You see, without us being spiritually born again, born from above, 
we are still dead in our sins. No matter how good we do, we are still dead and trapped in our sins. So first of all, we must get an accurate definition of what it means to receive salvation or to enter into the kingdom or have the kingdom. It's when God's spirit makes you a new baby. You are born again. When that happens is, or where that happens is when you say, yes, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe that he died for me and that he rose from the dead, that God rose him from the dead. And because of my belief in that, not because of my good works, not because of something I did, but because of my belief and trust in the message of the good news of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, I become a new creation. I become born again. I become a baby spiritually, but a lot. Uh, I become a sorry, a newborn spiritually alive to God and to that which God wants for me. We see this same kind of thing brought up in John 1. When we read verse 12 to 13, it says, But as many as receive him, that's Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you became a new person in your spirit, not born of the will of man, but born of God. Your spirit is now alive and born of God. It is a creation that's never existed before. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.17, and then you will, there you will find a very famous scripture if you're a Christian. For a long time, you'll know it quite well. If not, this is a wonderful thing to start knowing. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. You see, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, he immediately makes you a new creature, one that's never existed before. This is not you going back to being like Adam and Eve in relationship with God. No, this is even greater. The work that Jesus did was a work on the earth through his death, burial, and resurrection that was so perfect and so complete that something that's never existed before now has been formed or created, now exists. There is a way to become a new creature. You see, that which Adam and Eve never had, we have. They never ate of the tree of life, yet we do. Jesus is that life. You know, They did not attain the glory that was set before them. They fall short of it from the beginning, you know, and so that's interesting. So I want you to know that when you have received Jesus, you became a new creation that is not like the old, not at all. It's completely new, okay? In why? Because, <coughs> excuse me, the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior, he immediately and instantaneously fills you with his Spirit, you are filled. It is a sign that you are now born of him. You look like him spiritually. He has done this. You look like him and you have become part of him. Him in you, you in him. Okay? Uh, you don't have just a part of him. You have all of his spirit dwelling in you to the extent that he has given it. Okay? Um, after he did this, so after he... after. Uh, or I want to say uh, actually at the same moment, but let's say after he filled you with the Spirit, he sealed you 
Look at what Ephesians says in Ephesians 1 verse 13. It says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now imagine I'm holding in front of you uh, a jar full of, or let's rather say a, but a water bottle. And the water bottle is filled. When you have filled it, you would seal it. Okay, you would close it again. Now imagine that sealing is the kind of seal that can never be opened again. That is a seal for all eternity. That means that which is inside cannot come out. And nothing from the outside can come in. When Ephesians is saying that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit, it means that that which is inside is enough. It is full. You are filled with God's Spirit, enough to the brim, enough that it can overflow, and you are sealed that nothing can ever corrupt that state of being born again, of being a new creation. Nothing can corrupt that state again. You cannot undo what he has done through making you a born-again believer, okay? Through putting your faith in him. So, uh, it doesn't mean that as believers we now never sin because you know that that which is in you by the Holy Spirit, His Spirit living in you, that reality means that although you might sin, it will never enter into your spiritual condition again like what it did with Adam and Eve. Why? Because it's God's own Spirit living inside of you, okay? And He has become one with you. We're going to look at that in a moment. But what is in you is holy and clean. It's the wisdom from God, sanctification, redemption, and righteousness, 1 Corinthians 1.30. It's all inside of you, okay? You might sin in your actions, which would be foolish, and the answer to that is to grow up. But it doesn't mean that you are now corrupted in your spiritual reality. It just means you still need to grow up, or meaning realize who you are in Christ. So, when he sealed you, when you got born again, he also completed you in that same moment. Look at Colossians 2, verse 9 to 10. This is another great verse that we should all memorize, including myself. Colossians 2, verse 9 to 10. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and all authority. This is an experience that is for all, that you, not just for some, that he has made you complete. When? When you became part of him. It says, and in him, you. So the result of being in him is a direct result on you. The result is you have been made complete. Okay? You um, may never have known this. Okay, but when you became a believer, this is exactly what happened. You became complete in your spiritual reality. You became a completely new creation. And he wrote over you in a way, if you want to see it like that, his stamp over you is complete in Jesus. Whether you were aware of it or not, it happened. And it is for every single believer. There is no born again experience without this being true. You are not born again without this happening. You might not have known that this happened, but it happened. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17, the verse I told you we're going to look at. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. This is who you are. Okay. 
When you have joined yourself to the Lord, how do you do that? You receive salvation through faith in Jesus. You are now one with him. Therefore, it would be accurate to say that you are filled with God's spirit when you believe. He has not withheld anything from you. It would also be accurate to say that you lack no good thing because of who he has put inside of you, himself. Now listen very carefully. Can God exist without his spirit? No, he is spirit. The scripture tells us he is spirit. So when the scriptures show us or when the word of God shows us that he has given his spirit to us, it is God himself himself coming to dwell inside of us. He has now made his home in us. We carry his presence where we go. And the more we awaken to the reality of who we are in Christ, the more we awaken to the reality of what this means as born-again believers that are complete in him, the more effective our prayer life will become. Because we will no longer come to God asking him for things that he just cannot do. There are certain things in prayer God will not do. There are certain things he cannot do. He cannot manipulate someone's mind and will and emotions. There's also things we pray for that he's already given us. God, please, if it's your will, heal me. It is always his will to heal. Please, Father, make me more um, disciplined. He can't do that. Discipline is your part. You, He will partner with you and help you. But that's something that you decide to do. You know, and so we, our prayer life will start looking like that of the early church and what Paul wrote down when, when the early church prayed, Father, we're praying for boldness to share the gospel. Incredible. What an incredible prayer. I find myself praying that more and more, Father, I'm, I'm coming to you and I know in me is your spirit, but this flesh sometimes is not as bold as it should be to proclaim the gospel, to speak out when things are wrong, to speak out when things are right and to declare your works among the nations. Is that not the greatest thing of all, to be part of his adventure, to see people receive salvation, that which he died for, which he paid such a precious, precious price for? And so when we look at Paul, his prayers are incredible. Look at Ephesians. Um, actually, it's not on my notes, so I'll go with you to it. It's also in Colossians. No, I don't know where. Um, it's also in Colossians, but in Ephesians 1, Paul is praying, you know, and he prays from verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, I give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, he's not praying, Father, give them a different spirit than what they have. This is talking about kind of, if you want to see it like this way, the attitude, the, the spirit is not a, a new spirit or a different spirit or even more spirit. It's may you walk in that attitude, that reality of having wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Because, of course, we know he only has one spirit. And that is his own spirit. And that spirit is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul prays that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened so that we will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? What an incredible prayer. You see, when we really know what happened at salvation, and when we understand the complete and perfect work of the cross and of Jesus 
and what he has done in us and for us, it changes immediately how we pray. We come with a different attitude. We come with a different understanding. We come with a complete different act of uh, or reality about what surrendering means. And so I want to encourage you with this, that as you, these might be for some of you basic truths that you may have heard already. For others, hopefully it's things that you're hearing now that you're like, whoa, I need to go and look at this. I need to see, is this what the scriptures are saying about me? Because it will greatly impact the reality of how we pray and what we expect when we enter that holy and sacred space where we prioritize praying, worshiping the Lord in prayer. Now, <clears throat> I want to take you to a final verse. We're going to close most probably early today. But in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, I want to start linking a thought that we'll definitely dig into more next week. So open already in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, but give me a moment before you read it. One of the things that naturally has to come up, that if we are complete in Christ, and if by what we've seen that our salvation is a work of filling us with God's power and with his own presence himself, that we are filled, lacking nothing, and that he has not withheld anything from us, then a natural question would come up that why do we need then a separate experience? Why do we need more filling if we are filled? What then about this thing we call baptism in the Holy Spirit? You see? And so these questions are very important and must come up. And we will be digging into them in the weeks ahead. Um, and these are things that, that as we look at them, I want, to, I want to really ask you to open your heart and listen with fresh ears to what we're saying, you know. So when you read 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So we see here that we were all, once again, this is not referring to some believers. This is if you're a believer, you were made to drink of one spirit. If you're a believer, when you believed that moment, you were born again, became a new creation, sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you were immediately baptized into one body. Whose body? The body of Jesus Christ, him being the head and us being his body, no matter who you were <clears throat> before. So true baptism, the true baptism of every single believer today is to be baptized into Christ. It is to receive salvation, to become a new creation and to be born again. In that moment, you are completely filled with the fullness of God himself, and he has now made his home in you. How does that relate to our prayer life? Well, until we don't have a full understanding of what happened at our salvation, we will still believe that there is something that we need to go through before we can experience all that God has for us. And instead of knowing that we have received all that is needed, we will continuously seek for something more in our prayer life. And we might start thinking that this, this spiritual reality is limited to only a few. So what does it matter when I pray, because I am not one of those few. So I hope that this encourages you. I hope that it ministers to you and that it blesses you. And I sincerely hope that you will take this and say, in my life, Father, where is it in my prayer life? 
that I am struggling to see this reality. And Father, as I pray, help me to discover and see what it means to be a new creation in Christ, where my my reality is that I am one with you. We are not separate. How do I pray then? How do I ask for things? How do I surrender to you? How do I have a relationship with you? How do I release your power into situations? And how do I put my focus solely on you as God in any and every situation so that I may see the outcome that you see, that I may see the reality as you see it, and that I may experience that which you have given to all believers to experience, the reality that greater works than Jesus we too shall do because of who is living in us. Amen. You can find more of our free teachings on our website, www.gracelife.co. And if you're ever in the Duras area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website, www.gracelife.co.